From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 159. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Balance, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Mr. Jason Snell, we are back to a sense of normality in the Upgrade yes. world now. Yes, back to back to our usual schedule after mm-hmm. after a, a summer that, while fun, was also kind of off our normal uh, schedule and but hey Jason podcast nobody cares about schedules it's time for <laughs> hashtag snell talk and our question this week comes from D Lindbergh and uh, D Lindbergh asks if you went back in time Jason to 1997 how mm-hmm. would you attempt to explain to somebody that Apple would be the richest company in the world in 20 years well that it, that would be it would be a herculean task i think <laughs> it would be but i think uh, this is a this is an interesting hypothetical i think i would say you know steve jobs just came back he's working his magic he's changing apple's product line and the products that you see over the next few years are not the product that pushes apple to to its greatest heights ever but they are the run-up to that. And so just keep watching, right? Keep watching as Apple becomes um, more invested in consumer technology and more invested in things that are not what you think of now as a, a, as a computer, but are a little bit outside. Because by, by um, going broader, um, I, I would also say, remember, you know how you guys here in the 90s always complain about how Apple is bad at advertising and marketing, and if people could just understand why your Apple products were good, they would they would become Apple users, but nobody ever does that. So just watch, because depending on the time of year, it's like that Think Different ad you just saw, that's the first Think Different ad that came out in like August of 97. So let's say it's September, like exactly 30 years ago, or 20 years ago. Um that's the start of a long run of good ads and Apple's also going to get into retail where they're going to bring their stuff to stores all over the country and the world where people will get to walk in and see them and do what you've always described, which is if Apple properly markets themselves and people can actually see Apple stuff and try it out, they will like it and they will embrace it. That was a theory I know back in your time in the nineties, um, and turns out it's right. It's true. And Apple's going to do that. Plus, they're going to go into new product areas. So um, I, I, as, a, as a time traveler, I can't advise you on investment decisions. But come on. You see what to do. I bet this would be a... Also, here's who won the Super Bowl. I don't know. <laughs> Just throw that in there. And there's a, here's that new sound you've been looking for. Your kids are really going to love it. Mm-hmm. I bet you could explain this in those terms to somebody following Apple and you could make them believe you, right? By using the things and like Steve Jobs has come back and he's going to fix it and the advertising is going to get better. I don't think that it would really be possible to explain this to, to people outside, right? Like people that understood enough about technology, but like didn't obsessively care about Apple. I feel like you'd really, really struggle to explain it to them. Like people that understand Apple, you could explain it to. Uh, well, people who, d- for somebody who totally doesn't understand Apple and doesn't know anything about it in 1997, what I would say is, you know, Apple, that company that makes a weird computer that nobody buys, um, 
they're not going to give up on that, but they're going to make a new product using their technology brilliance. You know how like everybody loved the Mac when it came out and people were like, oh, the Mac, but nobody uses it, but everybody loved it and talked about it. They're going to do that again in the next decade, twice uh, in different categories that aren't computers. And you won't need to use it with a Mac. You can use it with a PC and people are going to love it. And that's what's going to happen. And I think people would say, oh, okay. Sure. That makes sense. I, you know, if I tried to convince them that the Mac was going to be the most popular computer, they wouldn't believe me, which is good because I would be a, a future, I'd be a time traveler who was lying to them. <laughs> That's terrible. So, uh, but I think that would be the way I would explain it is Apple's going to try again. Apple's going to do something like the Mac that's revolutionary, but this time it's going to work and they're going to do it twice with the iPod and the iPhone. And that would be how I'd explain it to somebody who, who doesn't have a, closer level of detail on uh, what Apple is like in 1997. If you would like to uh, ask a question for the beginning of Upgrade, all you need to do is send a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and they go into a document for me to pick from. Um, be like D. Lindbergh and send in an awesome question and then maybe you can help start off a, f- a future episode of Upgrade. So last week we spoke about the fact that uh, Upgradian, who is in the chat room right now, Carl's the Grey, was in the Apple Watch video, which uh, is now, I believe, on Apple's YouTube channel. So I'm going to find a link for that and put it in the show notes so you can go and watch it. I don't think they'd published it when we were uh, when we were talking last week. Turns out that Kyle's <laughs> was not the only Upgradian who was in that exact same video. Stuart Brynken... <laughs> Uh, was the sta- self-proclaimed standing up in the office guy? See if you remember there was there was somebody standing up and reading their letter aloud. Yeah, it's a good laugh too, where it's the time to stand and he stands up in the middle of the office and all of that. And that was that's a uh, that's Upgradian Stewart from Scotland. Yeah, Stewart wrote in and said I was on it too. So there were <laughs> of the maybe ten people featured in that um, in that video, two of them were Upgradians. At least. I mean, who knows? There could be more. There could be more, right? (laughs) But it's just amazing, right? And you know, Mike, I think I might have said this last week, but I'll just say it again. My initial reaction to this is... Obviously, the screeners didn't ask the right questions. <laughs> it's like, how are they? How are upgradians allowed in the uh, in hey, the in the video? Jason, they may have been looking for them. It, it's possible. Well, we, they are the most discerning and uh, high quality audience around the so, brightest of course they would and be. most attractive of all of the uh podcast listeners podcast are listeners upgradians. are upgradians there's are no the doubt upgradians. we know that it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it is a complete fact and none of you i'm sure will disagree with that um i wanted to give some follow-up on apple watch cores uh last uh. week i <laughs> professed how unbelievable i thought it was that our watches um, are about to have dual cores with the Series 3. Turns out that the Series 1 and Series 2 watches that were released last also, year both had dual-core Apple uh, yeah. dual-core processors in them. Um, the original Apple Watch, which has been dubbed the Series 0 in a, in a retcon incident, um, mm-hmm. had a single-core <laughs> processor in it. Um, some further follow-up that we've had from many people um, about the word Qi for the Qi wireless charging standard. Um, I want to just... Uh, Jonas was one of these people that wrote in to say that Qi in the context that it is being referred to here with the wireless charging standard refers to the idea of air, breathing, or energy flow. 
Um, we said on the last episode, because somebody told us in the chat room, that chi was the Chinese word for seven, which it is also true that that is the word, but apparently um, it is pronounced slightly differently, and I believe that there's context that you, that would be required for a lot of words. For what I can gather, Mandarin seems like a tricky language. It might, yeah, it might be, it might be hard. Might be kind of outside of my realm there. I've got a dumb joke that only nerds who are comic book uh, superhero nerds and tech nerds will get. You mm-hmm. want to hear it? Yep. How, how does Iron Fist charge his uh, Iron Fist? Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Chi. <laughs> I like that. That's really good. You should tweet that. That's a, that is a tweetable <laughs> joke. Oh, no. That is a tweetable joke. Oh, uh, yeah. Come on. That's your wheelhouse. The people following you on Twitter. It's a tech nerd dad joke is what that is. But uh, there it is. Gee, he just I imagine he just sort of lays his hand down on a power pad and lets it get. That's how it works. Charged up. That's how but it yeah, works. So it turns out that's why. I mean, that makes it a when when someone told me it was the Chinese word for seven. I didn't understand why they called it that. But now I get why they called it that. I understand why it's called Qi now because <laughs> well, energy flowing I'll... in the air. And. and... And let's let's just be honest. Until this Apple event, I literally thought thought it was called Key. Key. Oh yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I thought it was called Key. So now we know better. Thank you, everybody. Why wouldn't you think that? All right. Uh, next week, Mike at the movies, Terminator Two. That will be the end of next week's episode. So if you want to be able to listen along um, between now and the time that you listen to next week's episode of Upgrade, episode one hundred and sixty, uh, make sure that you have watched Terminator Two. Or decide that you don't care about Terminator 2 spoilers, which is probably okay, considering Since the movie is like 20 years old. from 1990. Casey uh, List <laughs> pointed out that this is yep. actually a 90s movie, but as a early 90s movie that's a sequel to an 80s movie, I am claiming yeah, I it. Want to, I want to institute a, uh, a, a sub-rule of the Mike at the Mike Movies, at the movies selection. <laughs> so the, the, the kind of unofficial official rule is that jason for the time being gets 80s movies and casey gets 90s movies even though we do this way more i mean i don't know how also tv shows on tv shows as well yeah like because we do we watch firefly (laughs) together on analog so casey has already instituted his own amendment his own like a little rule addendum here but the this this new rule addendum that i will institute for the movies portion is that if a movie franchise begins in one decade it can continue. The, the, I believe that the same show should continue right. further viewings of the franchise no matter when those movies came out. It's, it's fair game. I think that's good. And uh, yeah, Terminator 2 is uh, a, it's a classic in a lot of ways. It is, it is a uh, blockbuster that helped define what blockbusters, uh, summer blockbusters were. Yeah. It, was, it, it advanced the game in a lot of ways. And I was, believe uh, that this movie yeah. is going to help me understand why, as a child, I had a Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator toy. Because Terminator 1 it, would yes. not answer that question. I'm expecting no. Terminator 2 will answer that question. All right. So next week, we'll be back. All right. So we obviously spent all of the time last week talking about new products. So I thought we could maybe go over what we pre-ordered, if anything at all. Jason, what did you pre-order um, on Friday? I pre-ordered... You know, it's always tricky with me because sometimes I, I, I get things to review mm-hmm. and sometimes I have to buy them to review them. And sometimes I buy them to use them and review them. But, you know, I have different motivations because, again, it's it's also my my living to do this so like i bought a 
uh, I bought a 10.5 iPad Pro because I got a review unit of the 12.9, but not the 10.5, and I wanted to review both of them. So sometimes my buying decisions are weird and not directly correlating to what my personal preferences would be. But anyway, the 4K Apple TV, because I, you know, I want one. Yep. <laughs> if I get a review unit, that's nice, but I, I want one. I have a 4K TV. I want one. I'm getting that. And I got uh, I got a cellular Apple Watch because I want a cellular Apple Watch. And so I got Space Gray. Uh, so that means the aluminum. I thought about the stainless. I always think about the stainless, but as nice as that black stainless looks like, because I don't want the silver, but I think like the silver one very clearly says this is a pretty stainless steel watch. And the black one, while nicer than the space gray one, it's not a lot nicer, I think, to my taste anyway, and a lot more expensive. So I figure like, I'm just going to keep it going. I've always had the space gray Apple watch in aluminum, and I'm still going to get that. The one difference this time is I have so many bands now, including so many black sport bands, that I went with the Nike Plus and got the anthracite black nice Nike Sport mm. Band. And you get all those special faces. I get the special faces, and I get that band, and I still got my uh, all my other watch bands. So I feel like, why not uh, Why not do that? So I pre-ordered the 4K Apple TV because we use our Apple TV every single day, um, and I want to be able to watch all the 4K HDR movies on my 4K HDR television. And I really, really, really cannot wait. Seriously, just cannot, cannot wait to stare with my mouth agape at the screensavers. I'm so excited about this. You cannot even believe. This is something that my entire household is excited about because we both love looking at those screensavers, me and Adina. So we're very excited about that. Um, And I got a Space Gray 42mm cellular Apple Watch with the Olive Sport Loop. So I want the um, Sport Loop because... uh, it looks like a kind of a best of all worlds. Um, last week, I thought it was magnets, but it's, it seems to be some kind of Velcro material, but it seems like it's a good Velcro um, rather than like regular Velcro. Like it's not just your standard Velcro. It's it's, it's nice, apparently. Uh, isn't the color that I would want, the olive one? I actually want the black one because the black one has like these little flecks of color in it, which look interesting, but I don't think that was an option. They're, they're very restrictive with the color options that come as kind of like buy the watch, get the band. Um, However, I love my Pride band so much that I can't imagine really wanting to swap unless these new bands are really amazing. If the new bands are really great, then I'll I'll get maybe the black one uh, at a later date. But I'm starting off with the olive one, which is a nice kind of... It says olive, but it looks gray to me. So it looks great. Um, I did want to make a note on pre-orders. Of course, I mean, this maybe isn't so weird for you, Jason, but it is incredibly weird for me to have an iPhone pre-order schedule go by, and I mostly just ignored that fact. Isn't it strange? Isn't that a strange feeling? Very weird. Um, very weird that it's kind of like, oh, you can pre-order an iPhone, but I'm just not going to bother. Like, it was a very strange feeling. It made me realize how far away October 27th pre-ordering November 3rd is. That is a long way away. Like, yeah, that that's yeah. I'm mm-hmm, very sad about this. Uh, it also I was kind of keeping my eye on uh, the pre-ordering status, and it seemed that it took basically all day 
um, for the 8 and 8 plus to get pushed back to about a one to two week dispatch in the UK. And that seemed to be pretty similar across, you know, most territories from what I could see yeah. people talking about. So I guess there's two things from this. One, um, it didn't they didn't sell out immediately. Uh, but in two, they at least still did. I think it. Yeah, I think that's it. I think they don't need. There was no way there was going to be completely uncontrollable demand for this phone because mm-hmm. first off the when looking at what the specs are i would think that apple knows pretty well how to assemble these and make a lot of them because it's yep. very much like yep. the existing uh, iphone 7 and 6s and 6 that they make <laughs> right and they've probably been making them for a while and building up to, building up a supply because they know they're going to sell but nobody really expected that it would be uh, necessarily record-breaking because there's another new iphone model right so there's going to be reduced demand I think it is encouraging that there appears to be demand for the iPhone 8. And I heard a bunch of people say, ah, I'm not going to get the 10. iPhone 8 works for me. And, and a lot of reasons, the price. I heard people like skeptical of any first gen of anything. Um, and the iPhone 10 is definitely a first generation of a, uh, in a bunch of different areas. Um, some skepticism because no, nobody has seen in the wild um, how Face ID works. So I think some people have professed skepticism about that. And uh, the sensor housing notch thing, right? Like some people are a like, lot of yeah, people don't I, like you know, it. And that, and that's, or at least, you know, and maybe they'll get used to it and maybe it'll turn out that, that it's awesome. But uh, if your initial reaction is like, all of these things, like the price and the notch and it's new stuff and it's all that, you know, I've heard from a lot of people are like, yeah, the iPhone 8 is fine. And you know what? Apple's okay with that, right? Like Apple wants there to be a spread, especially since everybody's assuming that iPhone 10 demand is going to way outstrip iPhone 10 supply. So Apple, the Apple's gamble is that they don't want to kill iPhone 8 sales with the existence of the 10. And it looks like that hasn't happened. I mean, it's hard to divine it just from availability because they are metering their own availability. They may be making fewer of them um, in order to meet a reduced demand. But uh, but yeah, it is it is a funny feeling. Oh, uh, in the chat room, Joe Steele asked us to explain our uh, storage options on the Apple TV 4K. <laughs> and the, the, uh, my simple answer is, I, of course, I bought the cheaper one with less storage because storage on Apple TV is stupid. And it's really only used for apps. And why would I spend money on something that is yeah. dumb? So <laughs> I thought about making a joke and saying I went for the 64, but uh. <laughs> if you hate the Apple TV, you may say, "Why did you spend money on an Apple TV then?" If it because <laughs> it is because it is dumb. But I I I like the Apple TV, and also I want to know about it. Um, I don't love it, but I like it, and I'm looking forward to the 4K uh, stuff on my 4K TV. Um, another weird uh, little aside about 4K while we're there, which is that iOS 11, which is coming out tomorrow as we record this, the 19th, one of the things it does on the new iPad Pros is it supports HDR video, and that's live now if you're on the GM and uh, I had to quit my TV app and then relaunch it to get it. And I haven't had time to do like a side-by-side comparison or anything like that, but it does offer, they're not 4K, they're 1080, but they're they're 1080 HDR versions of movies, which is really interesting and suggest they, they said when those came out that the screens were great. They, they were ready for HDR content. And here is the other shoe dropping there. I'm happy so they're I, doing I, this. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, yeah, it's cool. I wanted to share two little, just very quick tidbits of information that I found out since last week that I thought were interesting to mention on the show. Uh, one which I find to be really disappointing is that the Apple Watch LTE model only works in your country of purchase. It will not roam. 
on LTE. Right. Which Early is days. really disappointing <laughs> for me just because of how much yeah. time I spend in the US. And, and something that I know is likely to happen is I'm, well, I'm hoping that the, the LTE Apple Watch will help me develop some new habits in regards to when and where I need my phone with me. And I know that I will develop some habits. Then I will be on a trip and I will just leave like my hotel, leave my phone in the room. And then, you know, it's gone and it doesn't work. And then I'm going to be really sad. Uh, but hey ho, this is the first edition, but it is just, it is a shame. I, I do consider it a shame. Uh, the other yep. is that iPad Pros uh, and the 256 and 512 gigabyte models, uh, they've all been increased by $50 across the board, LTE or not. Yeah, this sounds like, uh, as everybody's been speculating, this is about storage costs going up. Yep. That that the storage used in uh, in the flash uh, storage of Apple devices is uh, severely constrained because everybody wants that storage for all of their devices and um and it's expensive so so all of our dreams of like ssds coming down in price it's not happening right now because demand again here's that supply and demand thing kids take your economics class when you're in school i keep telling my daughter that it's like economics it's kind of important you should pay attention this is a case where there's so much demand because everybody wants to put this stuff in all the devices they make and the i'm sure there are there are ramping up factories everywhere but right now the prices are going up and not down and apple is uh, going to maintain its margins apparently so it's passing those prices on to consumers which is unusual all right let's take our first break and uh we should talk about the iphone 10 some more see how i stumbled there yeah. see, i got looking in the document jason and i and i struggled with whether to say 10 or whether to say the letter x uh, but i went with 10 iphone x they're more lasers if it's iphone x but it's not they're no lasers oh all right today's show is brought to you by balance <laughs> balance to the team behind balance for mac this is an app that will help you monitor all of your bank balances and card transactions it's available right now you can go and get it and you can go check that out but the folk over at balance have just launched something called balance open now this is a free open source mac app for checking coinbase if you don't know what Coinbase is, it is a popular marketplace for cryptocurrencies. And this is stuff like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of whatever balances you may have in those cryptocurrencies. Now, if you're not familiar with this stuff, that's totally fine. Balance wants to help teach you about cryptocurrencies as well. And to do this, they want to get you started on your way. The first 1,000 people that go to bal.money slash relay, that's B-A-L dot money slash relay, will get $2 in the Ethereum cryptocurrency for free as a gift from Balance. Go check it out today, find out more, and try out Balance Open. I will say that over the time that I have been working with the crew at Balance, I have been more attuned to like these these cryptocurrency type things. You know, it's, it's the beta Meinhof phenomenon, I think it's called, that when you know about something, you see it everywhere. I am starting to see things like Ethereum, especially mentioned in so many different places. Like this seems to be just like a thing which is really picking up steam now more than ever. Cryptocurrencies are here to stay. So get on your way. Go to bowel.money slash relay and you can check it all out. Our thanks to Balance for their support of this show and Relay FM. So let's talk about the iPhone 10. I did it again. I look at it. I should just start writing the word 10 down instead. 
Because every time I see <laughs> just, X, I just I just want to say X. Just get your Apple uh, pencil out and get open a new note and just just write X equals ten, X equals ten, X mm-hmm. equals ten. So over and over and over again. Uh, I wanted Jason. I wanted to focus on uh, three different features of, or at least aspects of the iPhone, and we're going to talk about Face ID separately in a moment. Um, okay. But I wanted to focus on a couple of different things with you to see to see what you think because they're they're just things that have been playing on my mind, especially over the the last few weeks. Overall, I don't know if if we really spoke about this too much last time because it was pretty fresh. But especially as time has has gone on and we're like a week removed now, how do you feel about the notch from a design perspective? You know, um, I'm torn. Uh, having having held it in my hand, right? Like, and you are in the unique, you know. We should just just, just <laughs> let's get it out there again. Sure, just, we should say this. I mean, because <laughs> it's important. It is important to underscore this point. I think wherever we can, that you are in the unique um, position. Yes, I'm. I'm one of a few hundred people who actually has held an iPhone 10 in in yep. their hand. Yeah. So I am especially interested in in your opinion because of that. Sorry to interrupt you. So um, the. When you hold it in your hand, right? Like the thing that comes out is that it is it is the screen is pushed as far to the edge as is possible, and then there's that notch in the top. And I think um, Apple is struggling with this too. Like they obviously had an internal debate about whether they wanted to make that screen the portion of the screen to the sides of the notch accessible or not to developers, because they could have said that the notch area is reserved for status bar and that's it and get out of that space. But Mm -hmm. what they want actually is for people to, and this is a phrase that they have used, embrace the notch for developers to embrace the notch or they don't say the notch, right? But that's the, that's the message. Embrace the notch, embrace the, the, the curvature of the screen. Cause it's not just the notch. It's the, the, the edges are curved. Edges of the screen are curved. They're not um, right angles. Yeah, that is important to mention because I think that a lot of people are focusing on the notch because it's the thing that is like right in your face. But the the edges of the display are curved, and that's never been the case before. Am I right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so the it's not playing by the rules that iOS has played by before. And, you know, there are reasons, right? It is following the curves of the device, um, which is, and then the curve is reflected again. The notch is also curved and it's meant to be like, it's trying to get the curved edges thing across to you. And, and, And so what Apple wants developers to do is to have their stuff go you know, spread out to the, the to the sides. Not you don't want to put text right up against that edge, um, but they want to have like the background colors flow out to the edges and things like that. Um, although there's some really weird examples of things like Safari in landscape having white bars on the sides, mm-hmm. which is like really bad. Uh, I think everybody's going to be figuring this out as they go. Like, what's the right way to do it? So the notch, you know, it has to be there. Um, I think it's an interesting choice that Apple has decided not to block it out and just make it a status area because if they'd made it a status area with a black background, it would make it more or less invisible, right? It would be like there'd be an area with no writing on it, but it would still be like the black background would be consistent and you could you could fake it. But uh, they decided not to do that and instead kind of lean into the fact that it's it's there. I think from Apple's perspective, it is we've put screen in places where a screen normally wouldn't go um, is sort of the argument. Like we could have stopped the screen at the bottom of the sensor area, but we decided not to. We just kept it going all the way to the edge of the phone. Um, 
we'll see how it works in practice. I think the screen is beautiful. Um, I think it's a little bit weird, but um, but necessary. Um, I will uh, just as an aside, and I, I don't want to, you know, well, podcasts are nice because you can't actually hear them, but the, the, the counter arguments do get generated when you say things on podcasts. I've seen a bunch of people say, well, if you defend the notch and you thought that the flat tire on the Moto 360 smartphone was dumb, you uh, are being inconsistent. And I get that argument, but I don't think I agree with it because the Moto 360 smartphone was a round phone and the whole idea was it's a round fo- or a round watch. Whole idea was it's a round watch like regular watches with a round screen on it. And then the screen wasn't round. Yeah, they they called it the 360. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the screen wasn't round. The iPhone 10, yes, it does have a weird thing. It is weird. It is in the way of it being a completely edge-to-edge screen. I don't think it's as fundamental to the product as the the Moto 360 was, where it was like, this is really exciting that they've managed to do a round screen. And then you find out, well, no, they didn't. It's got a flat part at the bottom with nothing below it, which, you know, I understand why they had to do it that way. But it it really fought against the entire kind of premise of the product. On this, it's less it's less of a, a, a an issue. But... um. I know you can see, I know you've seen it on Twitter too, like developers are struggling with it because there's questions of sort of like, where do we put things? And they don't have a lot of time. At least they have more time than if it was shipping on Friday, but they don't have a lot of time to deal with this. And I know that it's like, um, you know, I saw some tweets by James Thompson about like he put iPhone 10 support in to PCALC when he released it this week. And, you know, I, and there was a Twitter thread of like, this is a weird decision. He's like, yeah, I'm still rethinking things, but you got to start somewhere. And I wanted to be compatible. Um, so there's a lot of questions of like, do you curve other edges of UI elements? Do you extend UI elements up to the top, but there's a notch in the way? There's like lots of questions for designers and developers of apps about how you work around the notch or embrace the notch and what do you do with it? Um, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think there's questions about lots of apps that have like, overcast has a card metaphor and the card can't go all the way up to the top because it can't because there's a notch in the way it's like what happens there it's like so i don't know i think in the end it's probably not going to be a big deal i think it used as a status area i think on the sides it's probably fine but it is i feel for all the app developers who have to kind of ponder what this means to have the curved edges and the notch on the screen and um, I think it, there's going to be a period of ex- of uh, experimentation here where everybody is trying to figure out like what feels good to use on an iPhone 10. And, um, and right now it's all mock-ups in the simulator too because most people don't have one of these in their hands. So mm-hmm. I think that's exciting. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely, I, I'm sure Apple would rather it be invisible, <laughs> but they can't do that to go through some of your points backwards um the moto 360 thing i understand why people say that but i always liked the way that watch looked i mean i have a history of saying that i've enjoyed the look of that device i i like the rounded oh yeah part and, and the, the flat tire aspect of it never bothered me like my feeling at the time was well that stuff has to go somewhere if that's all they could do it's all they could do i think the overall yeah. look of it is good I mean, my my pushback on it would be that I was disappointed in it because I was excited about the idea that they were doing a truly round watch, which would, yep. is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And 
that they got hit by. Yeah, I mean they couldn't they couldn't pull it off, and they shipped it anyway. And you, yeah, it looked great, but it was it's just really it's really unfortunate because like that was the meaning of that. That was the ideal platonic ideal of the Moto 360 was it's a round screen and it wasn't quite, and it's too bad. Yeah, in hindsight, the name of the product should have been different. Um, the I I will also say that I think over the last couple of years maybe. Um, at least the last year, uh, I I have said in many places that I think that Samsung were making the best looking smartphones on the market. I think that the S7 and the S8 and the Notes they've all been incredible. Like as soon as they started doing the edge to edge stuff and the the I've loved all of that. You know, the screens going over the edges and then with the S8 going kind of as far to the top as they could put it. I, I've always thought they were incredible. I will say, for me right now, for me right now. The iPhone 10 is the best looking smartphone that you can that I will be able to buy. I think this phone is beautiful. I love it. I like the distinctiveness of the weird screen shape. I know it's going to be hard for people to develop for it. But every screenshot that I've seen of an application that has been optimized, I think is just stunning. And this includes James's with PCalc. I'll put a link in the show notes to a screenshot of Carrot Weather running on oh, the, the iPhone. Oh, the Carrot Weather one looks great, and and they're using what they're what Carrot Weather is doing right is they're using the extra space above. They're embracing the notch as a status location where 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 the time and carrier and all that information is, and but they're running their uh, their background up to the corners. Mm-hmm. And so it looks really nice because you see the notch, but you see the background colors flow up around it and cover the status area, which I, I suspect is going to be the most common way app developers approach this. And I is, think the way it sh- that's the way it should be done because it's like, yeah. it makes everything part of the application, but it's not putting use of things that you need up there, but it's making the whole screen. It's like makes it a kind of a seamless experience. Everything is the application that you're in at this point of time. Right, and I I think it's I think it's beautiful. I I know that a lot of people don't like the the notch. They think it's a, a, a kind of a compromise, and it is a compromise. Mm. But I think with everything Apple has had in their hand here, they made a great compromise. There's a couple of things you know I've been saying. I said this before the phone launched, and I'll say it again. If that would have just been a screen that was black, I would have felt cheated as a customer. Because why have you got a screen that is just black, right? right? Either don't have the screen or use the screen. And if, like, and I know that there would be, there are useful things in there, right? Like status bar stuff. I get that. But that's not enough of a use case for me. Just having these two little parts of a screen that are colored in black, like, I feel like that I'm not being given the opportunity to use all of the screen that I've paid for. And I also prefer that Apple has done something where they're building UI and allow and like forcing developers to customize, you know, or, or like really twisting people's arms to customize and play around with it and do things with that screen rather than it just being a black bar and everything starting lower down. Like, I think that overall, this is going to work out to be great. And I think that, you know, Apple is telling people to embrace the notch because if they didn't, every single developer would just make that black at the top people wouldn't even try i mean of course there'd be some but i would really believe the most 
that most designers and developers would take a stand on it or say that it's too tricky to make it work and would just say like, oh, we're just going to color this in black. And I feel like that would be a waste. At least by Apple putting this in the human interface guidelines, they're going to be forcing people to experiment and see what they can do. And as is always with any big change like this, the stuff that we get on launch day and for the first month, it's not going to be amazing. There will be quick things done without anybody using the devices, what you could mock up in Simulator. It will be in a few months' time from the the launch of the phone where we'll see people, if there's anything interesting to be done with this, we'll start to see it. And I really honestly believe that there are going to be some kind of new paradigms, new mechanisms, new user interface things that people are going to start to do that will then be adopted more widely. Like There will be some enterprising individuals who have a really good idea for how to use that space really effectively, and then we'll start to see more people do stuff with it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I am. I'm very excited about it. Like, let's say, for example, right, like an application like TweetBot. What if they changed the color of the UI up on the top if I had a notification that I hadn't read yet? You know, like there, there could be little things that people start to do with the fact that you've got this screen, which would mostly be color that you could use of it, that could end up being really cool. And But I think that Apple have to ask people to really, really think about it, to force them into doing it, to force them to push them is maybe a better word than forcing, like to push people towards trying to experiment because otherwise people, I think, would gloss over it. But yeah, I mm-hmm. think that the, the iPhone ten, I think it's beautiful and I just cannot, cannot wait to, to get one. $999. What do you think about the price of the iPhone ten? Um it's I, I people are stumbling over it, but the fact is you've been Apple's been inching up the price. The iPhone Plus pushed up the price. This is the phones have always been expensive. They're getting more expensive, it's true, but there's also a much broader spread of phones available, and this is at the high end of Apple's product line. If you look at the price points that they're offering now, there are lots of them. And um, this is, I, I, I think, I was listening to the ATP conversation last week, and um, Marco said something that I think is right, which is, you know, Apple's probably never going to stop offering a phone at nine ninety nine now. But what this gives them is the ability to spread the the product line even further and offer products that are more expensive to make, that maintain the margins that they want at the high end. And so, um, you know, I just think this is this is where the market's going, is that Apple Apple is always going to be a company that is seeking the uh, higher end of the market. And the fact is, they have not hit any demand walls by doing this that um apple raises the price and they still sell as many as they can make so they raise the price again and sell as many as they can make the argument would be that while i think maybe making an apple watch edition in gold was a bridge too far that pushing this stuff up is 
Look, I mean, I would much rather that this iPhone 10 be available for 699, right? I would totally prefer it at 699 than 999. But knowing what we know about what's in it and looking at the spread of Apple's product line, I, I get why it's 999. And it's the same reason that the Apple TV is not $99. It's the same reason the Apple Watch doesn't start at 149 or 199. It's because it's Apple. They know they can charge more and sell them, and you don't have to like it, and you don't have to buy it. I think that's a, a lot of uh, a lot of arguments about Apple products. This is the, like just how when people get angry when the MacBook comes out and it doesn't have ports, and people get angry about it. Uh, the implication is, well, I'm mad because I don't want it. <laughs> it's like Apple is a kind of company that makes people angry when you can't buy or don't want to buy or are not willing to buy a certain mm-hmm, product mm-hmm. because you want to you want to want them all. Even if you don't buy them all, you want to want them all. And I, I get that that at this price, you might want to just walk away and say, forget it. There was a, a, a unsurprising kind of huffy post on the, I want to say The Verge, although it might have been in Gadget or Gizmodo, I, I can't remember. And it was basically, I'm not buying an iPhone 10. It's like, well, congratulations, sir. Yeah, Good it was, for you. It was Paul Miller at The Verge. Paul Miller at The Verge, that's right. It's like, well, yeah, bravo. Let everybody write in and tell us what you're buying and what you're not buying because that's a personal decision. Um, I had to roll my eyes at that post because sure, that's his personal decision. He won't buy it. And a lot of people won't buy it and they'll buy And instead they'll buy the iPhone 8. <laughs> Right. So Apple is okay with that. Um, and a lot of people will buy the iPhone 10. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's the pri- phone economics for a lot of people. It's the most important device that they own. You, most people don't buy a new one every year. And I would say a lot of the people I know who do buy them every year, it's totally worth it for them to buy a new phone every year and they're happy to spend the money. So um, I don't see the problem. Honestly, like I don't, I, I would love for it to be cheaper because I would always love for it to be cheaper. But um, Apple knows that they will sell as many as they can make at nine ninety nine, and so this is going to probably continue as long as it's successful. I'd rather one last thing. I would rather this phone exist at nine ninety nine than for Apple to look at the cost of making an OLED phone with all those sensors and everything in twenty seventeen and go. No, it doesn't pencil out and not make the phone, which they could have done and may have done in the past with some features, right? Where they're like, let's wait a year. Everything will be cheaper in a year. And uh, I would rather this phone exist and be expensive than not exist, for sure. The iPhone 8 that I would buy would be the 256 gigabyte iPhone 8 Plus, which would cost me $949. The iPhone 10 that I will buy is $200 more. At the point where I'm already spending a thousand, like $950, I would spend the extra 200. Because uh, I feel like, you know, you get to a certain point and it's like, well, you know, what does 200 mean? When you're already at a thousand, what is another 200? You know, like, and I understand why that is a difficult thing for, for a lot of people. But I think at a certain point, the numbers, the the relative numbers start to matter a little less. And, you know, bear in mind, you know, there are many different reasons why I have the money that I do to spend on these products. You know, like there there are various things that I do in my life and save in my life to make sure I can buy these phones every year because it's important for me for many reasons, because I care and also for what I do for a living. 
But there are many people that do that buy an iPhone every year, and I think if you buy an iPhone every single year, maybe a couple of extra hundred dollars isn't that much of an impact to you. I don't know. I mean, your mileage may vary on that one. But I think, you know, $999, a lot of people, most people, aren't paying that amount of money in one big go. You know, there are contracts, there are upgrade programs, right? These are a thing that exist. Yeah, it's just you're paying, you're going to pay another, whatever, $10 a month over the yep. course of that contract than you than you did before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I, I think bo- the bottom line is, I think a lot of the reaction is people would rather not spend as much money, which I totally get. Because it is an incredibly large amount of money for something that you're only going to keep for a year, maybe. I, who knows? Yeah, you maybe. Know, but not if not if it's two years or three years, necessarily. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I... I I get that. And also, I know that people feel oftentimes frustrated when um, Apple makes something that they want, but for whatever reason, they can't have. Or Apple makes something that they're uh, that they're not going to get when they're somebody whose identity is tied up in being somebody who's got the latest and greatest Apple stuff. And I get it. And I would say that at some point, some price point, this becomes a problem for Apple. But I don't think this is it. I mean, again, because again first off the price isn't entirely real because um people tend to buy other things too so the the starting price tends to not be the actual price you spend at apple and uh and second you know phones have already been creeping up there right if you get a plus with more storage you're you're headed up toward a thousand already and then do you get a case do you do you get apple care so this is just this is you know this is the world we live in is is products like this exist and your phone if your phone is fine you don't have to buy it and keep that in mind and that's that's the only way if apple will change their if you're really angry and think apple needs to change the way they approach pricing um the way it works is if the market shows that apple has failed to um to push the price higher like not deferring your upgrades <laughs> not buying a new iphone gravitating toward the older models that are cheaper and pushing down the average selling price of the iphone if lots of people do that apple will change its behavior because apple is you know is trying to find the right mixture this is their this is two-thirds of apple's budget is the iphone they're not going to jeopardize the iphone's revenue engine in order to have a high-end product the high-end product is meant to complement the rest of the product line and if they reach a point where it's acting to the detriment of iphone sales they will change their behavior so you know i don't think that's going to happen at 999 starting for the iphone 10 though i don't think it's going to happen no i don't well but the thing is apple need to try and i as as a business, I understand why they're trying. Like you need to know if, yeah. if you because you don't look. No one wants to leave money on the table, right? Like this is the this is their job as a company. If they're able to make two hundred dollars more per person, they are gonna try they're gonna, that. They're gonna find a way to do that. Well, that's that's exactly that's exactly it. And this is what they this is what they're here to do. Back to the Apple TV. Like, I want the Apple TV to be the base model Apple TV to be 99 because I want to see Apple in there at least trying to fight at a lower price point with the Chromecasts and, and Roku's uh, and Fire TVs of the world. Mm-hmm. And Apple has obviously decided 
they're okay with the Apple TV being way more expensive than those because the people who are going to buy the Apple TV are going to want it for Apple-specific reasons, and they're absolutely going to be willing to shell out another $100 in order to get it, and that makes more money for Apple. And maybe that's the reason the Apple TV exists, is for Apple. Like, below a certain point, Apple doesn't want to bother with the Apple TV. The reason that it exists is, is perhaps to keep throwing more money in their direction. I mean, Apple... That is, I, I think one symbol of Tim Cook's Apple is optimizing ruthlessly, in some cases, optimizing price points to generate revenue. And it's the reason why Apple is one of the most profitable and successful companies in the world. But all of us, you know, this week, I think many, many upgrade listeners and you and I have thrown money, our own hard earned money, into the Apple vacuum cleaner that sucks our money out of our pockets and so yeah that's that's where that huge profit comes from everyone (laughs) it's us right and they know it and they know they're doing they're doing their best but uh to get to get our money and to make products that we want to buy and where it breaks down is if it's a product we don't want to buy or it doesn't have value at the price but um 9.99 is not going to be it somewhere between 9.99 and the solid gold apple watch there's a breakdown but i'm not quite sure where that is finally i wanted to talk about the home button and losing it as a thing i i think the main concern i have um with the the iphone 10 is that is the muscle memory thing you know the idea of of pressing a circle on the bottom of my device to wake it up, to go to home, all of these things. That has been the last 10 years for me has been doing that and pressing that button and going going back home or, you know, double tapping that button and going into multitasking. And I, I hope that the fact that the gestures being basically the same as the ones on my iPad will help it settle in but I think that there's going to be some some real time that it's going to take to break the muscle memory that we have uh, for for going home. You know, um, I again, I'm gonna I'm gonna play. I've got it for another month. I'm gonna play my trump card of having used the iPhone 10 for a little while, for 30 minutes or whatever. Um, less than that, probably 15 minutes, while people are over my shoulder looking, staring daggers at me because I'm using it. The they phone. want to use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the I think it's not going to be much of an adaptation period. I really don't. I I think you hold it in your hand. The way it worked for me, I hold it in my hand. I move my thumb down to where I'm. I'm just again non-thinking. I'm moving my thumb down to the button to tap the button. Hey, guess where my thumb is? It's down at the bottom of the screen. What do I do? I put my fi- I put my thumb down, and instead of pressing, I flick. That's it. Like the gesture. The gesture is. First off, pressing the button is a gesture, right? It's a ge- it's gesture UI. It's more obvious because there's a button there with a, you know, circle for you to press, but it's still gestural UI. Especially when the button stopped moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's already gestural UI, and this gesture is so close to that gesture mm. that okay. I think it will take very little time. And I'm I'm just gonna come out and say it. Um, I think it's I think it's past time, and I think it's time for the home button to go. And I am happy for the home button to go i have all this summer i've been thinking about this as we've been doing you know as the rumors have been out there about a buttonless iphone and all that i think 
I think it's been 10 years that we've been using this this UI. Yeah. As comforting as a hardware button is to go back to home, the fact is that's a simple gesture. It's going to be visible everywhere um, with a little line thing that they're going to do. Um, there are still other hardware buttons on the device, but for that one, I'm okay with it. Like, I, I feel like Apple is driving iOS to a new um, lexicon of gestures. I think people will be able to get the basic gesture of flipping up from the bottom to uh, go home. And uh, the more complex gestures, like flipping up and holding to do switch to switch apps, like not everybody's going to get that. But that's okay, because not everybody needs to get that, because flipping up to go home will get you back to your list of apps, and then you can find the next app you want to launch. So I'm I'm kind of a believer in it. I'm okay with it going everywhere on every iOS device over time, and I do actually think that's going to happen. I think that the home button's days are numbered now, because it takes up a lot of space on the bezel of every device because it's not just where the button is. You have to make room for that button. And that means unless you want to do a notch around the button, don't do that. It's a bad idea. Uh, just get rid of it. That's a, that's a button that can be gone. You can't get rid of the sensors. You can get rid of the button. So yeah, I think, I, I think it works. I think it's fine. Um, this, and I think that it's the start of a new uh, chapter for Apple in terms of their gestures. And I get that it's not obvious in the way that a physical button is obvious and that there's some user experience issues there. But I think in the grand scheme of things, we're at a very different place in terms of who uses touchscreen devices than we were 10 years ago. And I think Apple can get away with it. And I think it's better. In the end, I think it's better because just like getting rid of the hardware keyboard on the original iPhone, because that space could be better used as something that was touchscreen and could be anything underneath instead of just a keyboard. This is the same story, which is there's still a home gesture at the bottom of the screen, but now all of that space that was a uh, that was just nothing except a button is now a gestural area that's programmable, and I think it's better. So as you were saying in your Macworld column, uh, this week, it's like the design ideal, right? Like this is this is you know the button was there because it was what we needed. It was what was thought was was required. But as time has gone on, the ideal design for the iPhone is just a screen. So you need to let go of the chin, and if you let go of the chin, you have to let go of the home button too. Yeah, that it was Johnny. I've said it in the video, right? He said, um, the screen. Just a screen has been what we've been working on for more for 10 years. Well, 10 years, the iPhone had just come out, right? So the clear implication there is from the beginning, the design ideals of the iPhone were as much screen as possible on the front. The screen, everything else, they said this back in, in 2007, everything else about the device should fall away and you should be interacting with the screen. That was always the idea. And everything since then has been... Um, how do we get closer to that ideal? And I feel like, and this is why I wrote about it on a macro last week, I feel like this is the closest they've gotten. Obviously, the the final ideal is that all of that other space, including the whole notch and all the sensors, there's some way where they can make it that those are not visible and that it's just all screen. But they can't get there yet. But I feel like this is this is apple reaching the edges like this has been all along it's been a battle at apple to make an iphone where the where the screen reaches the edges of the face of the of the of the uh, device and that this is the phone that does that mm -hmm. so in some ways it's the it's a it's an important um, milestone just just like how i feel that the apple watch always was headed toward having cellular connectivity 
and that it kind of met its its a uh, milestone of its design ideal with the series three because it's finally got that last piece that it's not not that these products aren't going to evolve and grow and change but like a fundamental thing that was obvious that it needed to go there it's it reached it um you know minus the notch in the case of the iphone 10 but it reached the edges everywhere else which is i think that was the goal all along and and uh so it's fit it fits it fits but at the time they felt that they needed the uh the that tactile button we're we're not giving you a whole keyboard but we're going to put a button down there in in emergencies you can press it to go home and i don't think apple doesn't think that's needed anymore and i think they're right i think they're right i th- i'm excited about this phone for some of these reasons like whilst i'm on you know i'm a little bit um apprehensive of the change and wondering how that's going to feel my ultimate feeling is excitement because this is going to be the most new feeling iPhone in a very, very, very long time for all of these reasons, right? Not just because it mm-hmm. looks different, not just because the screen is different, but because there are brand new ways to interact with it, ways that are completely yep. different to any other iOS device. Um, it is very intriguing. 2017, I, I'm going to say as a, you know, I don't know, one of a small group of unofficial iOS historians, I guess, right? Watching this for a long time, paying close attention. I feel like, you know, the there obviously the design milestone where they threw out the uh the uh, skeuomorphism is a milestone of iOS. Yeah, iOS 7. But this this year I think is going to go down as a almost like volume two like of of ios conception where apple's rolling out a bunch of things that are redefining fundamental parts of ios and i a lot of them are manifest in the iphone 10 and the rest of them are manifest in the ios 11 interface on the ipad and i think that they go hand in hand i think they were all designed together (laughs) i think they're all in lockstep i think they are all about apple driving some certain gestures forward and having things be more consistent and different uh than they were before across ios devices and um and so big year 2017 between the iphone 10 and ios 11 um for apple redefining what uh what it means to use ios and i think it's good and i think it's going to kick off more changes that are going to stem from these changes and and are going to advance the ball in the in the future but it's a big steps forward because because right i mean the iphone uh, i mean the ipad running ios 11 is also a very different feel just like the iphone 10 is going to be a very different feel from previous iphones and and so both sides of the ios equation have are getting these you know rethinks this year it's exciting I turned on my old 12.9-inch iPad Pro um, to wipe it, to to restore it, because I'm selling it to a friend. And I was like, what is this? Just seeing that iOS 10 home screen with the big dock and everything, it was like, wow, okay, I've really gotten used to this over the last three months. It's like, what is this this wasteland here that I have? It was a strange feeling. We could talk about iOS 11 next week, though, in more detail, of course. we Yeah. Because it comes out tomorrow. It comes out on the 19th. So 
we're going to talk about it in more detail next week. Because we still have more iPhone stuff to talk about. Um, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Encapsula. They have website security tools and a content delivery network that will make absolutely any website faster, safer, and more reliable. Over 100,000 organizations trust Encapsula every day because of these ideals, because they make websites safer, faster, and more reliable. This is from people that, you know, it's like a one-person company with a, with a website with a lot of traffic to Fortune 500 companies with types of web traffic that you couldn't even imagine. It doesn't matter who you are. Encapsula can help protect you and make your content lightning fast. You're going to be well protected with the fact that they have just... An inc- just an incredible network. 30 data centers with 3 terabits of bandwidth. It's all there on hand to deal with any attack traffic that may come your way. But they also have, just with all of this incredible network, an incredible content ma- uh, CDN, a content delivery network, to make sure that everybody gets your content lightning fast. They have a 24-7 operations team with personal account management to make sure that you're going to be well taken care of as well as just how good their technology and infrastructure is. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service at Encapsula for free. Just go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you'll find out more about what Encapsula does and claim your free month. I'd like to thank Encapsula for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. Face ID. Craig yes. Federighi has been on a bit of damage control, I believe, I feel, um, over the last week. Uh, namely, yeah. giving an interview to Matt Panzerino at TechCrunch and appearing on episode 200, congratulations, John Gruber, um, of the talk show. If you can call it an episode, I mean, it was only 30 minutes long. Yeah. Is that an episode that like of a, the talk show, really? A fifth? Is that a fifth or something of, of yeah. a regular talk show? It's a, fra- it's a fractional episode of the talk show. It was a, a segment. It was a, it was a segment of the talk show broken out into its own episode. Um. I am not surprised about this, though. Uh, I had a family gathering over the weekend. It was my mum's birthday. And me and my uncle, my uncle works in uh, the telecoms industry. So we, we really nerd out and have a great time talking about this type of stuff. So we're talking about the iPhone ten, And my 80-year-old grandmother turns to us and says, that was the one that didn't work on stage, right? So she knows. Because <laughs> they showed it on the news. Yeah. So everyone knows that Face ID, in its very first iteration, in its very first demo, I should say, failed. So they have been spending some time over the last week, at least Craig Federighi has, appearing at least in the places where the most ferocious uh, users are. You know, so yep. they go into the talk show, go into TechCrunch. Answering emails. Answer, answering, yeah, answering emails from developers, which uh, Mac Rumors had, which I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. It's not a good look, right? Like, this isn't this isn't what Apple want to happen. No, I mean, obviously it was a mistake. It wasn't actually a failure. They explained that it wasn't a failure. Mm-hmm. But, because uh, apparently what happened was there was a setup tech and they did lift, you know, they raised to um, raise to wake and then it, they were looking at the phone and it was trying to do face ID on them. And after a certain number of scans, just as with touch ID, it fails and goes back to inputting the password. Yep. And they didn't realize that that happened or could happen. And uh, nobody else checked before the event to make sure that the phone was ready to go for face ID. And so, you know, it wasn't a failure of face ID. 
it was a failure of setup preparation. Yeah, it was it was locked needing a password. And then it worked, right? On the other on the other line, but it's tough, right? What a time for uh, a demo fail and there it was there was a demo fail and craig and craig didn't understand it didn't understand what he was doing because obviously he's got his mind on doing his presentation he didn't realize that what he was looking at was the add password uh or enter password screen which he could have done and then and then locked it and then done the demo too but he didn't realize that either so now they have to recast it. and it's just it's tough because this is your big moment and it had a false start if you ever wanted proof to the conspiracy theory that all of these demos are staged. Well, this is it, right? Because what they should have done, in hindsight, you know, like if they believe it works and know it works, to assure to to assure that it's going to work, change the code right, in this build on this phone, so it would definitely authenticate him. Well, I guess I guess so. I guess you they, know? they. I mean, that, that would be the way to do it. Hard coded for Federighi face. Exactly. And just uh, <laughs> but unlock every single iPhone. But no, I. But you know, in a way, I'm happy that they don't. That this did happen because it conf- it shows that they don't do that, right? Which is always a question in my mind of like, you know, I know this stuff works, but like it's not ready yet. Like, do they do anything to kind of to massage things? But anyway, I'm keen to understand how this works in Mike Hurley's life. Like, what was happening to the phone? What was it doing, right? So they're saying that, like, you know, the reason this happened is that the phones were being handled and it was trying to scan faces. It was waking up. I mean, that's 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 the key thing is if you tap, if you can tap to wake or lift mm-hmm. to wake, it was waking up and then trying to do a scan and failing. Yep. And in, in normal use, they must feel... Um, Apple's also another thing you talk about the damage control. Another thing they've done is they've kind of, uh, rustled up, uh, other people, Apple employees who've been using the iPhone 10. And those, those people have been talking to people they know and saying, Oh, I've been using this for months and it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just oh, to, right. just okay. to get that. Just to, I've seen several people say, Oh, I've talked to the people I know at Apple who've been using this and they say that it's fine and it works great. Right. So that's also happening here, whether, whether mm-hmm. organically, send the birdies out, let them fly, whether organically or whether somebody's like, yeah, you should mention that to your friends in the press that it works fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the problem here is we don't know because we haven't used it. And even the press at the event, I was lording it over you earlier, you know, but I can't on this. Like face ID is one per, nobody was training their faces at the event, right? So I have to take it on the word of the Apple employee who I saw use face ID. And that's at a kiosk in a crowded demo center. It's yep. not day-to-day use. So nobody has any personal experience with this. We we have to take Apple at its word. And guess what? People are always going to be skeptical of new stuff even from Apple, especially from Apple, who knows, but they're always going to be skeptical. Now I look at it and think everybody was skeptical about touch ID. And how did that work out? It worked out fine. doesn't mean this will work out fine, but it does mean the skepticism is not fundamentally, um, because this is, is likely to fail. Yeah. It's because it's new and we haven't experienced anything like it. And so we don't understand. And until we see it and how it's implemented and how it works for ourselves, we're going to be skeptical of it. And that's, I think, totally fair. Now, the problem with the failure or the you know demo failure, if not technology failure, is that it plays into that fear. So I, I you know, and the... the Apple's not going to be able to solve this until they get reviewers writing about how the how the face ID works and then people actually use them. And and it's going to be telling the value of having people write about and talk about technology is 
we can talk about our personal experiences and tell the story of like, well, I used it in my everyday life and this is what I found and this is how it worked and have it be credible perhaps in a way um, that uh, an Apple, you know, somebody paid by Apple, an Apple employee is not going to be as credible about it. But a lot of people are just going to need to see it for themselves or hear it from a trusted source. Um, and that's just where we are with it. I, I, uh, and there will be, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, there are going to be issues. There are going to be things where people are like, oh, did you know that it didn't do this? Or, oh, I found a funny, they always said that my sister and I looked alike and turns out that she can unlock my phone. Oh, isn't that funny? I mean, we're going to get those stories. They're going to be weird quirks, things we learn uh, about fail failures and successes and false positives and all of that is going to happen, but we don't know yet. And and so we've got a vacuum and you know what happens when there's information about Apple and nobody actually knows the facts is that the noise fills the gap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want, I really, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how it plays out. I think that measured skepticism is, is, is a healthy practice, right? Like don't just believe it's going to work because Apple made it, but don't believe it's not going to work because Apple made, it. you know, like I feel like you can, that, that there is a, there is a measurement that everybody should should follow with this right like i'm confident that they wouldn't have made this decision if it didn't work as good as touch id or close to um but i don't necessarily think that just because they apple have added this that it's better than anything else like i don't i'm, I'm gonna wait to see on that one personally there were some clarifications that came out in these two places and some additional information that we didn't have before um and so i kind of wanted to run through a couple of these things uh, sun- wearing sunglasses will work, work fine in most instances because the IR camera, the IR scanner can see through uh, sunglass lenses. There are some instances where like, there are some kinds of coatings that can block IR, um, and obviously they wouldn't work because of the attention detection, right? So it's not just right. um, scanning your face. The, the iPhone X has to see that you're looking at it. But you can turn off attention detection if you want to. So it's just scanning your face. So Apple has this as an accessibility option for people. Right. Um, uh, blind people is obviously one of them um, who may not be able to look at the screen. Shelley Brisbane, who writes a lot about accessibility, was on download last week and we talked about this. And yeah, that that is a... It's not surprising given Apple's attention to accessibility that they would be yep. accessibility features in, t- in Face ID. And this is one of them where if you're incapable of of being scanned as having your attention being given to Face ID... You can turn that off, and the and and similarly, if you are incapable of moving your um, your head or neck for multiple face scans, you can actually have it only do a single scan. So there's there there is definitely accessibility built into this. Apple has tried to make this as accessible a feature as possible. So if you uh, have a your favorite pair of sunglasses and you're unwilling to change them because they're your favorites and you're going to be spending a day at the beach, you can just turn off the attention detection for the day. So it still scans your face, but it doesn't need to see your eyes, which is a which is a good feature to have, um, mm-hmm. of course. Also as well, um, this is good. I'm, I'm happy for this change. So you, we've, I think we've spoken about this, or you know, I've heard it many places by now, that uh, iOS 11 includes this mode where you can hit the, the uh, lock button five times, the sleep-wake button five times, and it enters a kind of... Uh, 
a mode which serves many purposes. One is emergency mode, right, to bring up the emergency calling. So you can dial an emergency number and you can have it automatically call an emergency service if you want, which is very similar to what exists on the Apple Watch right now. But it does a couple of other things. And one of them is to turn off biometrics. So it turns off Touch ID. So to then to be able to enter a phone, you have to put the passcode in. And this can be really good for if you're in a, a, a situation where you don't trust uh, an enforcement official. Um, maybe you're going through customs. Maybe, you know, and you just you just don't yeah. want to be in a situation where somebody can compel you to unlock your phone uh, without having legal representation nearby. Well, on the iPhone 8 and iPhone 10, you don't need to hit the button five times. You just grip the phone, pressing both buttons for down for a period of time, and it will enter this mode. And I think that's a way better way of doing this than hitting the button five times because I could do that through my jeans, right? Like I could do that, and then you just get squeeze. A ha- just squeeze it. You just squeeze the buttons, and and it's you know you can feel them, especially how big the new buttons seem to be on the on the 10 especially, mm-hmm. um, and you get a haptic feedback to confirm that it's entered into the mode. I think this is really great. I hadn't seen this mentioned anywhere else um, except for in these these uh, two places in the, you know in this article with Matt Panzerino and on uh, the talk show episode 200. So that's it's really good. Um, I, 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 like, I like that this feature is going to exist, um, and I like that uh, they've made it easier on these new devices. Yep. One and then just a couple of other things I wanted to just pull out real quick from the TechCrunch article, which is much much longer and went into more depth. Um, Apple took well, Federighi took great steps to reiterate the lengths that Apple took to in, to ensure privacy on the devices. Um, confirmed that there is no light shone in your face. I don't think that Apple's marketing is helping them here. Um, I initially thought that there was some kind of light shone in your face like that your face was illuminated by the phone in some way to scan because all of their marketing shows that and i know what they're just trying to show you how it works but i think a lot of people are confused by this yeah i I, i'm sure that they debated this and i had the same thought you did and knowing how it works i'm watching them describe it and thinking oh man people are going to think that you actually are illuminated by these by these uh, sensors and things like that when it's actually all happening in infrared and I know they tried, but I felt like as I was watching it, I thought you should have set this up better. They didn't do a good job of defining it initially. You should have set it up as all of this happens in infrared, so you you never see anything. And then even like on the slides where they show the fa- the person's face illuminated, like show it not illuminated and say, this is what it looks like to you. But in infrared, it looks like this. And we use that mm-hmm. information and just like lean into it because a lot of people ended up reading it as, well, I look at my iPhone and a beam of light shines all over my face and little dots dance around and then my phone up it seems like a little showy to unlock a phone that way but okay i guess for a few minutes and then here we go um and then a, a couple of other little details um apple will be releasing a face id security white paper um and federighi also did some further clarification on at what angle you need for the for the phone to be able to see your face which i knew was a thing that everybody was spending a lot of time thinking about rightly so before the phone was released like what what angle does the phone need to be at how much of your face does it need to see to authenticate like do you need to perform a selfie action every time you want to unlock your phone so i'll read a quote 
Um, it's quite similar to the ranges that you'd be at if you put your phone in front-facing camera mode as if you were taking a selfie picture. Once your space from your eyes to your mouth come into view, so you'll be able to see that, you will be at the matching range, so it can work at fairly extreme angles. If it's down low because your phone is in your lap, it can unlock it as long as it can see those features. Basically, if you're using your phone across a natural series of angles, it can unlock it. I really like the way that this was described. You know, like if you can if you can take a picture that has your eyes and your mouth in, at whatever angle that may be, the phone should be able to unlock. So I think that that's going to work. Like basically, my thinking was like if I'm looking down at my phone, right, without like really leaning into it, will it unlock? And yeah, it turns out it will. So I thought that that was really good, and I appreciated yeah. that. Um, I appreciated that clarification. Well, if you think about like, can you see the screen of your iPhone? Can, you know, can you see the screen of your iPhone? If you can see that, you're most of the way there. It yeah. would then need to be that the space somehow the space between your eyes and your mouth is blocked by something. So, which I, I like the idea of the natural series of angles. Again, we're gonna find people. Everybody's gonna try this and say, "Oh, well, it worked here and it didn't work there and all of that." But I, I have seen a lot among the um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt spreading around uh, Face ID. One of the ones I, I uh, have seen is I don't want to pick up my phone and look at it to unlock it. It's like, well, you shouldn't really have to do that. And in fact, the way it should work is you should be able to pick up your phone and it's unlocked. Or you should be able to, if it's in the right angle, just flick it open on the table and it's unlocked because it can see you. Now there are going to be cases where that's not the case, but um, but that's the that's the ideal here is pick it up, flick, and it's and it's unlocked. Um, and in fact, somebody, uh, I read somebody said I would really love to have it where if I unlock it, it just automatically goes to the home screen. I don't know if Apple's going to add that as an option, but it's not not bad. Like like if I if I look at my phone, it unlocks and takes. <laughs> Like takes a, yes sir take take you to the home screen right away sir and one time you glare at it but um yeah that's how it's supposed to work so we'll see how it works in practice could be an accessibility option right there is the could one be. in the current phones right where it will just go straight home once touch ID is authenticated like that's the yeah, thing so if the, well if that's a thing then uh, presumably that will still be an option and you could flip that on and then when you look at the phone it will just take you to the home screen without a flick which is fine great yeah i don't i don't know what the i I mean i know that was a thing i don't know if it still is a thing i I believe so i believe so that you know you remember when they changed it from the raise to wake yeah rest finger to open open iphone with touch id without having to press the home button so you would so it's possible yeah so there 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 are ways around it but we'll see i mean uh, we'll, we'll see i'm not sure you wanted to mention a product that we didn't get any time to talk about last week surprisingly yeah it's it's another Apple accessory and and it, it's kind of boring um, and yet I think it's really interesting. So for a hundred dollars for ninety nine dollars because mm-hmm. again it's not just a nine ninety nine phone it's everything yeah. that you buy for it. Uh-huh. But this is the first time Apple has done this on the iPhone. It is an iPhone folio case. That means that it's got a cover and it's actually got a slot for you to put like money or credit cards or whatever. But the thing that's different is. You flip it open and your iPhone wakes up and you flip it closed and your iPhone goes to sleep, which yep. has not has been a, the case on the iPad forever, but has never been supported on the iPhone before. 
and the iPhone 10 apparently supports it. The iPhone 10 has a magnet in it. Yeah. This was found in the GM leak that came before the keynote. Yep. Yep. So this is the this is the result is presumably all the third party case makers will be able to do this too. But Apple has a folio case. And I think it's good. It's not for everybody. I think it's not for most people. But I definitely know people who really like having their iPhone with a cover on the case. And of course, right now, you flip it open and then you've got to wake it up because it doesn't have that iPad experience. And this one does. And this is a product from Apple because Apple builds what Apple wants to build for itself. Um, And it's good. I'm, I'm happy to see it, even though I'm not in the market for it. Yeah, I think this is a weird product. Um, I know. I mean, oh, totally I, weird product. I mean, there's just a couple of things that I find funny about it. One of them is that it has space for cards in it, which is hilarious considering the fact that Apple Pay exists as a thing. Um, yeah. And that this would cause problems in places where you use contactless cards. Like you'd have to open the the wallet up yes. every time. You couldn't just press your wallet against it because it would be trying to read either the Apple Pay sensor or the card, or both, so you'd have to open uh-huh. it up every time. Um, but yeah, if this is a type of thing that you want, you probably already know that, which means you most likely already own one of these. And sure, if Apple makes one, great, but it does cost $100, so, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's on you. But yeah, it is, it, this is a... I do find it a strange product to debut now. Like, it just seems like, if you haven't done this already, why are you doing it now? But they are... Um, and if you want it, it's available for you. Yep. All right, today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace, and to offer code UPGRADE at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more, Squarespace lets you easily create the website that you need for your next idea or project. Make your next move with Squarespace. No matter what type of website you want to build, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you do it. You don't have to install anything. You don't have to patch anything. You don't have to upgrade anything. Squarespace is set. It's all ready. You just have it. It's there for you. They got you covered. They have 24-7 customer support if you need any help. So that's an even extra level of coverage as well. I have been building a site in Squarespace for my wedding. Jason would know because I sent him an RSVP over the weekend. Um, and Jason filled out our little survey. Uh, which is fantastic because it's just a nice little website we can send people to and eventually we'll put details on it and we can password protect it, and which is fantastic. So only the people that, we're, that we need to see it right now can see it, which is what we need and what we want. And also we've been able to set up our RSVP form to go into a Google Sheet. So all of the information is just saved into Google Drive for us, what people are filling out. It's fantastic. Very, 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 very simple to do. Very awesome. There's no other way that I could have done this personally. Like between me and Adina, we don't have any website coding experience. We would have been completely lost trying to set this thing up and set it together. It would have been a nightmare. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can start a trial with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. Then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code UPGRADE to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for UPGRADE. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website jason snell you'll never guess what is back uh after a summer break it was rested it's tanned rested and ready mike it's ready to come back it's hashtag ask upgrade 
All right, I have like a billion questions, so we're going to do as many as we can do in the time that we have okay. left. So maybe maybe I'm, we can lightning round these. Let's see. Is this sure? Okay, let's see. Is this what's the segment like, Mike? Is this like Ask ATP? No, uh, this is uh, trademark. Um, oh, upgrade I see. Podcast. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, ask up hashtag Ask Upgrade. Nice. Jay asked, which would you prefer, Apple Watch with LTE or an always-on watch face? So we have Apple Watches with LTE available now, but if given the choice, would we choose to have an always-on watch face over LTE? I think Apple Watch with LTE is, like I said earlier, a fundamental change in the usefulness of the Apple Watch, and so I would always prefer it. I would really like it if I could select a face or let it do a like a low power face that was always on yep. mm-hmm. um and and like fade it up. I feel like they must be getting close to that. That maybe next year's watchOS update will do something like that. Because yeah, I I would like I would like to be able to glance at my watch and sometimes it doesn't wake up and still see the time. And uh you can't do that now. So I would like that, but the LTE that is a core. That's why I'm buying a new Apple Watch. It's like that's going to be awesome. I agree with you completely. You know, both of these features would have a significant impact on battery life, and I believe Apple is deciding to tackle them one at a time based on what they think is the most important. Yeah. And I'm surprised if you would ask if you would ask me when the Apple Watch was announced, uh, whether in 2017 with WatchOS 4 they would have figured out how to do enough battery savings to do an always on watch face, I would have said, of course, and they haven't. Mm-hmm. And so that's disappointing. But if you would ask me if they'd have a, an LTE version by 2017, I would have said, maybe, right? And they do. So that's good. Justin wants to know, do you think that the inductive charging capabilities on the new iPhones will allow Apple or third parties to make new battery cases that are smaller in profile? I So I would love somebody who has knowledge of the Android accessory market to tell us if these cases exist for Android. Because if they do, then the answer is yes. And if they don't, the answer is, I guess there's a reason why that doesn't work. Because you would think one of the nice things about inductive charging would be you can make a battery case that doesn't have to be plugged into the device, right? It just goes on the back and and the power flows into the device. But I don't, I did a quick search and I couldn't find any. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't any. So I'd be curious for people who come from the Android world where there's been wireless charging for quite a while about whether this is a thing or not, because I like that idea, right? That That's a, that's a, um, the idea that you could have a case that is not extending below your phone and, and plugging up the lightning port that it's just a hump on the back yeah. <laughs> with battery and it just magically charges your phone and doesn't, and gets out of the way of your ports. That's awesome. Like when you're traveling, you could have longer life without, uh, if you're listening on a, on a set of headphones using the lightning adapter and you can't charge your device, right? But you could via the inductive battery pack. But I, 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 my guess from what my cursory Googling has shown is that maybe there are issues with, uh, with this, that the kind of power that needs to be provided to an inductive charger is not efficient enough or strong enough to be something that can come from a battery pack but i don't know i'd love to hear that my guess is that the technology required is too physically large too big too big that could be and that's why there haven't been any yet and or still too early to wouldn't be great a little bit too worried about 
cases exploding in pockets. Yeah, but I would I would love it. I mean, I would really love it if there was an inductive uh, inductive charging thing. Mm-hmm. I'm still a little bit surprised that Apple didn't do something like the smart connector um, that is completely low profile and not a port, but that you could put a case on and it would feed battery into it. Um, although not fast, right? The smart connector is inductive and it's very slow. But uh, if you leave the case on all the time, then it just sort of will keep refilling the battery. But I don't know. I'd love to hear. Tony asked, does anyone know what's going on with AirPlay 2? It was conspicuously absent from the iPhone event, saving for the HomePod event. So here's one thing I just want to say, Tony. Thank you for the question. I don't think it was conspicuously absent. I think it was kind of mostly not worth bringing up in an event that was already super packed. Mostly because there isn't too much to say right now as there aren't products that will support it. Um, There are many speaker manufacturers have signed on um, and Apple has provided a list of these somewhere. Like lots and lots and lots of speaker manufacturers, all of the big names, to make devices that will include AirPlay 2 after iOS 11 launches. I expect there will be some PR releases about it at some point over the next few weeks. There might be like a like a newsroom article about, hey, look at these AirPlay 2 devices. And if yep. there is a HomePod event, maybe they would talk about it then, maybe. But I'm not convinced there even will be a HomePod event. But I, I just don't think that it's too important right now. Yeah, this was not an iOS 11 event, right? This was uh, this was an event for the hardware. iOS 11 already got a lot of time in June at WWDC. It is shipping, which is great. Um shipping tomorrow so this week we may even see the all the press releases about now supports airplay 2 blah 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 because you can't really sell airplay 2 speakers when it's not officially supported by any apple devices but as of ios 11 it will be and i would imagine that there will be announcements and launches and press releases and then it'll all start kind of happening but um, i'm not surprised and i i'm with you i think it's unlikely we'll see another Apple event this year. doesn't mean it can't happen, but like the HomePod already got announced. Everybody knows what it is. It just needs to ship. And it's not going to, I don't think they're going to do an announcement that, you know, like an event saying, hey, it shipped. Like that's, they don't need to do that. So I'm still in the camp of no more, um, no more events this year. We'll see. Rajiv wants to get our opinions now, our early predictions um, on future iPad models. Do we think that Touch ID will be on future iPad models? Um, could Face ID come to the iPad and along with it, a super slim bezel version? Um, Feels like an eventuality to me. Like, yeah. Because you could then charge even more for the iPad Pro, which I'm sure Tim would love to be able to do. I think um, my gut feeling is that they can get the, they, they will start getting rid of the home button, like I said earlier. I don't know whether that'll happen next year or not, but it could. The advantage of getting rid of the home button is they can either make the screen bigger or they can make the device smaller and uh, creep toward the edges of the display even further. Um, Face ID is going to be the killer, right? Because if you get rid of the home button, now you need to do Face ID. Yeah, you have to. Um, it has to. There's uh, plenty. I mean, is. this is the same argument as, as Face ID on the Mac, right? Which is there's more space to put this stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't need a notch, right? Because these devices are so much larger than the iPhone that you can just leave some space for the sensors. So I I do think it's inevitable that Face ID will exist on the iPad. But whether it's a 2018 thing or a 2019 thing, I don't know. I think that would be great. Um, 
OLED on the iPad is the other answer. And I think it's just going to be really hard to make an OLED screen that big and have that. That's going to be a really expensive device. And the iPad Pro is already pretty expensive. It's going to get even more expensive if they do that. I think they want to go, want to do that, right? I, I think if you look at the iPhone 10, it's like this is stuff Apple wants in all their products. But it's going to take a while to get there. So I'd say it's less likely in 2018. I think I, if I was a betting man about this, I would say less than 50% for Face ID and stuff in, in the iPad in, in 2018. Also, we'll see. Maybe the iPad is going its own way in a lot of different ways. But I think Apple would be happy to get the home button off the iPad, uh, and that would mean putting Face ID in. If I was going to put a bet on it, I would say that the next iPad Pro will go this way. But that may not be in 2018. Maybe two years. Interesting. Is, is the yeah. iPad Pro refresh right now? Could be, and it may just be one of them that has it. It could be. That would be that would be your iPad 10, basically. I mean, they're yeah. not going to call it that because I think they've got a. They're in a happy place now with the iPad. But um, it would be in the iPad Pro, right? And it might be in. It might be in one. It might be in both. Who knows? But yeah, I think that's right. But 20. You may be right. I, I, I'm skeptical about 2018. If there was an iPad Pro in the fall of 2018, it's possible, but we'll see. I, I think it's, my gut feeling is it's less likely, but it's not impossible. Edie wants to know, do you think Touch ID will reappear once technically possible? Nope. No. Under, except for one condition. That at scale, Face ID fails terribly. That's the only way we see Touch ID come back. I suppose if Face ID doesn't work, then sure, they're going to have to go back to Touch ID. But yep. I think Apple's confident that Face ID will work and uh, that'll be the end for Touch ID. I agree. Uh, Reed wants to know, what do non-optimized apps look like on the iPhone X? Are they cut off at the corners in the unibrow? The wonderful James Thompson, I asked him this question because I knew he'd been spending quite a bit of time in the simulator because as we spoke about earlier... Um, he's done some work with, with his fantastic app PCalc, which, by the way, you need to try the new about screen slash AR mode of PCalc. Oh, my God. Like, you just have to. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a write-up that you did at Six Colors, Jason. James is wonderful. App, it's it's an about screen, AR mode, and a game. And a it's game. It's also a game where you drive a truck around. Or you can just drop bananas onto the PCalc icon, like... It's, can. it's just sublime and amazing and wonderful <laughs> and fantastic, and you have to just have to do it. Well, James wants to support every piece of hardware that exists, so which is why there's Peacock for the Apple TV, which is, yes, he knows it's absurd, but he doesn't care. And he likes to support every feature. So like drag and drop is supported in the new version of PCalc. And that because the code is shared, it's now drag and drop on the Mac too, which is kind of funny. Um, so iOS driving Mac features there. And, uh, then, but then, like, you're a developer of a calculator, and there's all this great 3D and AR stuff in the operating system. What are you to do? And the answer is, yeah, he, he put an AR mode in. Yep. That, and, and you can throw dice and globes and bananas into a th- AR space and watch them bounce around and, I was and change the lighting. and probably like yeah. you throughout the whole summer, and it just got more and more absurd as the time yeah. went on when he was like when he added the little car and i was like what are you doing <laughs> but yeah i think what he said was i think i may have accidentally made a game <laughs> yeah and you can, can yep. you can connect a uh bluetooth enabled gamepad to 
the device and drive the little car around if you want to. Because the gamepad code is all in there from when he supported yep. the Apple TV. PCALC is an amazing application. Um, we're spending time on this now because you should buy it if you haven't. But see, the thing is about James is I know that like he's not just wasting his time. He implemented the drag and drop code incredibly quickly. And that was basically the only thing in iOS 11 that his app could take use of functionally. So then right. he decided to play around with this other stuff and then made something fun with it. Right, like what it, all it was at first was he'd spent so much time to making these um, amazing additional icons that you can that you can get now, that he wanted to just render one in Sprite Kit in the About screen, and then he did that quicker than he expected, and then it just was just a trail of things that he thought I'll try this and just kept doing them faster than he thought. So he built an entire game inside of the app, which is in itself kind of genius because now we're spending so much time talking about an update to a calculator. Yeah. Right? Anyway. Uh-huh. In the show notes is uh, some screenshots that James put together um, for me of what a non-optimized app looks like. And it's basically an iPhone app in the middle of the screen. There is a big black bar at the bottom and a big black bar at the top. That's what it does. Yeah. For as much as the simulator can show you anyway. Yep. So that that's what they look like. So I hope that lots of apps support them quickly because I would prefer not fantastic UI to just black bars, right? Like, just give me the first round of them and just make all of the apps full screen as much as you can do and then work it out later. All right, a couple more sure. questions. Travis wants to know, what other Apple products could incorporate Qi charging? Maybe the next Apple TV remote or the Magic Mouse? So I agree with both of those. They would they would work quite nicely. Um, but an Apple Pencil enabled like an apple pencil wireless chi charging yeah. would be fantastic i would love that that would be really great uh, the apple pencil is the first one that came to mind for me beyond the airpods and the apple mm-hmm. watch and, and the iphone is i mean i the ipad presumably will gain wireless charging because why not they've got the room i think that'll happen and but the pencil right we're charging it is so ungainly now that I think that that's a natural too, and the mouse, the charging is really bad too because you got to flip it over. So I think those are those are two examples. I, I assume somebody makes a Qi um, mouse pad, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, I was thinking about that, and like the, that, the, the, that the conclusion that I came to is it's kind of at that point you may as well just have a USB mouse, but like sure, if you want to have your mouse pad plugged into the wall or your computer and then your wireless mouse on top of it, then go for it. I'm sure, that, I'm sure there's a thing. Yeah. Or, you know, you could just get one of those IKEA things. and Because like, IKEA... Okay, so IKEA have a vast selection of products already available with Qi charging built into them. But you can also just straight up buy a wireless charging unit that you can bury into a desk. Like, they just sell just the little sure. units or pads that you can just screw a hole into like a large hole into a desk and just drop one in. So that's where you can buy some of that stuff, by the way, if you are interested in playing around with it, they make a selection of products already. And the last um, question comes from Kian and Kian wants to know what are our thoughts on the current state of the iPhone SE? Uh, do we think that Apple will keep it around with success parts, revise it in the spring or kill it off? What do you think, Jason? Um, if I had to predict, I would say, the iPhone SE will get an update next spring and it will be with iPhone 8 bits. Mm. That's my guess. Mm. That's my guess. Do you guess. think it will is look that... the same? 
well, that's the, that's the question. I think the easiest thing to do, maybe it's iPhone 7 bits and not 8 bits, but like relatively re- recent iPhone because then they're going to want to keep it around for a couple of years. I think they may keep it the same. It wouldn't, you know, shock me if they tried to do a new design, but the easiest thing to do is just to keep that design. And th- the fact is the new the new iPhone looks more like the SE than the last iPhones did. <laughs> so in terms of, you know, metal band uh and so yeah i think i think uh i think it's most likely to look the same and i would not be surprised if there was an update in the spring just to bring it up to modern standards and keep it alive because i i think they've found Mm -hmm. that it's a successful part of the product mix down at the low end and that there's an audience for people who want the small phone and so why not if you would like to send in your questions for the end of the show where we talk about uh, the... We try and clarify things for you and answer your questions about technology as much as we can. Just send in the tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade. Just tweet that into the ether or you can send it to us. It doesn't matter either way. We, we get them all. Um, and also, if you want to send in a question for me to ask Jason at the start of the show, hashtag SnellTalk for that. Um, I want to once again thank our three sponsors for this week. That is Squarespace, Balance, and Encapsula. If you'd like to find Jason's work online, I'm going to give you a few places to go. Go to sixcolors.com for Jason's work and writing, along with his help from the wonderful Dan Moran. Um, <laughs> poor Dan. <It's> not, <laughs> I know it's not it's how you pronounce said, that, but I like saying it that way. Um, I know that his name is Dan Moran, but I feel like Dan Moran is like his Hollywood name that I like okay. to give him. Because he's a he's a big time published author now, so that's it's his right. Stage Everybody name, should Dan go buy, buy Dan's book. Yeah. Yep. You should go do that. Uh, the Caledonian Gambit is the name of Dan's book. If you are yep. if you are looking to find it, you can do that. That is that is the uh, the Googleable information you will require. You can also go to the incomparable the incomparable dot com for Jason's podcasts, and of course, Jason hosts a vast selection of shows at Relay.fm as well. Uh, you true. can go to uh, find download. And you can go find free agents and lift off. Is that all of them? Did I get them all? I think I got them all. Download free agents lift off on relay. Uh, uh, that's yeah, an upgrade. Don't forget upgrade. I think people already <laughs> know that. I hope yeah, so. Probably. Uh, Jason is at Jason L on Twitter. J S N E L. I am at I Mike. I M Y K E. I've been working on a pretty big project that, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be finding out about later on this week. Um, you can find our show notes this week over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 159 we'll be back next week to talk about iOS 11 thanks so much for listening everybody until next time say goodbye Jason Snell goodbye everybody goodbye everybody